Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. You're listening to In The Dirt. Hello, Muskoka. This is In The Dirt podcast on Hunter's Bay Radio with Laura Thomas. On this program, we will get into the weeds about gardening in Muskoka, sharing stories and tips from my experience as well as other landscape professionals. On the show, we will also dig into the relationship our gardens have with Muskoka's surrounding landscapes, as well as how our gardens support wildlife and biodiversity. So let's dig in. So on today's episode, I really wanted to get into garden design, um, essentially kind of a garden design 101, a brief overview of um, the mistakes often a lot of DIY gardeners fall into, some of the traps, and um, laying out the best plans for success. So what it's not... Um, what I'm not really wanting to go over, what my intentions are not, is like how to do a full landscape plan, right? So you, you know, you want to plan your front yard, your backyard, the whole shebang. Um, that if you're in that situation where you're built a new house or you have a blank canvas, I find the best thing is to really hire or consult, um, a landscape design professional. Um, it gives you the plan so that you know three years down the road when you're ready to put that back patio in you already know what you want Um, and it often does save money down the road so you're not spending money on figuring out what you like and don't like Um, a design professional often is able to best pick out and find those values those interests those things that you like and reflect that back onto the landscape Um, so you know, if you are in that situation, um, I highly would recommend seeking out a landscape professional. So saying that, um, if your landscaping is pretty much done, but there's a spot in your yard that you really want to put a garden bed in, um, that's really what I wanted to get into is just, you know, how to best plan that that small garden bed um, or big, it can be big, um, and that we don't fall into some of the traps. So Before we get started with anything, and well before you start picking any of the plants out, um, you have to consider, first of all, your budget, how much you want to spend, um, how that space will be used. So, um, you know, this also includes maintenance. So if you know that you're the type of homeowner that's not going to get into that garden until like October to maybe possibly do some light weeding, Um, or maybe you're that person that's in there weekly because you love, you know, getting into the garden and weeding and, you know, figuring out what plants are really thriving. Um, Knowing that well in advance will really help dictate what type of garden would best suit your landscape and you as a person. (laughs) Um, So know that. So often you already know where you want the location of the garden. Um, whether it's the end of your driveway or around a tree that was planted. Um, What you need to often figure out is the size, the boundary lines. And, um, you know, you can kind of 
figure out where those lines will be and remembering that um, the bigger the garden, it's usually more maintenance. It's usually a higher budget. So that isn't to say to deter you from going big. Often we need to, and sometimes, and I'll get into this later about the importance of scale in a larger landscape. The bigger the garden doesn't always necessarily mean the more maintenance and the more expensive it will be. There are ways to have that large garden bed that's going to blend and be appropriate for your landscape um, without breaking the bank or your back. Um, so if you you know want to have something that's more low maintenance, you can pick out certain design elements um, that are easier to maintain. So I find when you look at a garden and you have those plants that are kind of um, or the garden, I said, that is more formal. So it's almost like little plants as little islands. So you have like your rutabacca or your black-eyed Susans. Then you have about a foot of space. And then you have an echinacea, foot of space, and then maybe another echinacea. Um, those plant, those gardens, I should say, I find are often harder to maintain or require more maintenance because you see the weeds, you see the um, the growth that is happening in them more as opposed to a garden where plants as they mature touch each other or if you have a ground cover or a green um, mulch living mulch so they often say that um, you know having a, a living mulch or plants that touch each other as they mature you'll have less weeds in the garden I often sometimes feel that I wonder if it's less weeds or just less perceived less weeds because you just don't see them. So either way, I find that there is less maintenance um, in, in garden beds that are more full um, and um, yes, more full. So knowing things like that um, can help kind of with, with planning. Um, and uh, make sure that this is a really important part and um, I touched upon this earlier, is making sure that the size of the garden is in scale to the rest of the landscape. So if you have a very large yard, you know, it's 100 feet wide, you know, 100 feet, 200 feet long, and you wanna put some interest in color at the end of your driveway, don't put in like a little eight foot by two foot garden bed um, that's going to look kind of, um, well, it's almost going to look not ridiculous, but it's not going to look as good as it could be. It's not going to look great. Um, so putting in a larger bed, and I often see this with a lot of suburban and urban yards. So we have our garden foundations. So the plantings along the base of the house, and then you have a yard tree. Most, um, places have it. And then gardeners will put, um, the ring around the plant, the base of the tree, um, you know, whether it's annuals or a selection of small perennials. And then what you have there is just another garden bed, but it's small, it's isolated, it's like a little island. And um, I find a collection of those, you know, sometimes you see gardeners fall into that trap of creating small little island gardens along little focal points along their property. And this often looks um, ill-planned, there's no connectivity, it doesn't suit the larger landscape. So if you're able to connect those smaller gardens with each other, so that yard tree garden with the foundation and in a swooping pattern or doesn't have to be swooping, you can have hard lines, 
Um, if you're able to, that's going to look a lot better, look a lot more intentional. Um, if not, if your space is too large and it would be a lot too much of a garden bed, that's completely fine. You can keep them as separate beds. Um, what you can do to make sure that it looks to scale um, and more appropriate in the landscape is make that garden along the tree a little beefier, weighted up a little bit more, and you can make it bigger. And you don't have to break the bank. You don't have to go to your garden center and spend another $200 on perennials. Um, you can make it larger by putting in a few woody shrubs, uh, maybe even some larger ornamental grasses. So putting something bigger in the space will lend to the, obviously the garden being bigger, more balanced, in regards to the rest of the landscape. Um, and it often, you know, we put in some small to medium sized shrubs. There's a lot of shrubs out there that require little to no maintenance. Um, so if that's a concern as well, is that you're thinking, oh, I don't wanna have a bigger bed. There's gonna be more maintenance. Not always. Um, you can make, um, you can, you know, make some choices where it's not gonna always be uh, more backbreaking work. Um, so next is the shape, um, and there's most gardeners now I find are really kind of like steering towards like um, curved lines, more natural lines. They're um, steering away from straight lines or you know rectangular beds. Uh, those were really popular, I guess, more in the 80s and 90s, and now we've kind of gone the other way. And uh, my personal preference is for a curved bed and for a nice, uh, you know, swooping line. Um, it adds more interest, looks a little bit natural, more natural, more pleasing to the eye. But by all means, if you have a space that is not best suited to a curved line, if you have like a hard structure, a small yard with like, say, a very square patio, um, and aligned by like very, you know, a yard that's a rectangle shape as most yards are, don't feel like you have to put in a curved line. Um, you can still keep a boxed rectangular shaped um, garden and not have a formal linear garden. You can still have a more natural wildflower garden and sometimes that juxtaposition of um, kind of a hard line with a soft garden lines inside the garden bed can look quite beautiful and pleasing. So um, don't feel like you have to go with a curve, curve line. If you do, remember that less is best. Um, keep the curves to a minimum. Um, you know, often just kind of like a swooping out and then a swooping in is all that you need. Um, and yeah, less is best. We're gonna go on a quick break right now. Um, when I get back, we're gonna I'm gonna give you probably the best tip um, about creating shape in your garden um, with boundary lines. It's it's a beautiful hack, and I love using it. I've even used it myself on my own garden beds. Um, so we'll return just in a moment. Buy Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Hello, and welcome back to In the Dirt, a gardening show that takes a more natural approach on 
why and how we garden in the 21st century. Welcome back to In the Dirt. I'm Laura Thomas. Today we're talking about garden design. So garden bed design, so 101, we talked about size, um, use, and now we're talking about shape and how to make sure that your shape of the garden is what you want. And this is my number one hack for making sure you get the shape that you want, is get your garden hose and line it along the line or your boundary line um, and use that and get your family outside. Make sure that... Um, you know, they're on board with the garden bed that you chose. But most importantly, before you get them on board with it, is make sure that how they use the space, is if it's not going to kind of um, contravene that or get in their way. Um, so when your kids get off the bus, it's not a traffic path to the front door. Um, you know, kids don't always use the intentional footpath that the developers and planners have set aside, um, they'll go whatever way is easiest. So if that is the path that they're using it through that garden bed, that doesn't mean you don't have to put that bed there. You just plan for it by putting a path. Um, get your lawnmower out. Make sure that it's easy to mow around or along that garden boundary line, um, especially if you have a riding lawnmower and a curved edge, you wanna really make sure that it's not a steep curve and that makes it really awkward. Um, and the person's gonna be cursing you. And then years down the road, what that leads to is just a really messy, unkept garden edge. Um, so knowing that, you know, keeping that line curve kind of more shallow um, is a lot easier down the road. And so that's my kind of hack for um, you know, making sure you get the right shape. Um, once you figure that out and you've kind of like dug in your garden bed, you've created that nice a the nice edge with a deep V. Um, you want to figure out if you're putting in any anchors or focal points. So this would be anything from large boulders that you either have in the space or hope to put in the space, um, trees that are already there, large shrubs. Um, uh, art sculptures, benches, um, paths, that kind of thing. So put those in place, or even if you don't put them in right away, mark the area so that you can plan the garden around it, because that will be your focal point. Um, you should allow the garden to kind of complement that. So once you've set that all out, you know where boulder, your bench, and all that is going to be, um, but you're still not really sure what the garden is going to look like. Um, some of us don't have necessarily a set garden style. Um, so if you're not sure the type of a garden that you want, the best thing you can do, I mean, we're really fortunate now, you can just Google, you know, Garden Trends 2022 or Best Gardens or Muskoka Gardens or um, if you know that you prefer a garden or, uh, sorry, a cottage garden or wildflower garden, you can Google that. Pinterest is huge, obviously, for this. You can pin all the gardens that you like. And what you can do is, if you don't have Pinterest, is I like to keep um, a folder just on Google Docs of garden inspiration photos for a very specific garden. And that way, you can look at all the the pictures in one gallery and then pick at them as a common thread and look at them as a common um, image or inspiration for that garden and figure out what you like, what's the common features, 
And how do you how are you gonna put that in your garden? So if all the gardens that you, you know, pinned or um, copy and pasted are all perennial gardens with lots of texture and lots of grasses, well, that's probably something that you really value and are interested in. Um, if on contrast, it's uh, a lot of formal um, plantings in a straight line, like maybe a boxwood or a lot of flowering shrubs, then you know um, perhaps what will suit you better. Um, sometimes a lot of garden designers really try to make sure that it matches the larger landscape or the architectural style of the home. Um, while I feel like that is really important, don't let that limit you. So if you have like a you know uh, old farm homestead, don't feel like you have to then put in a cottage style garden or you know heirloom garden. You can still put in a modern um, formal looking garden. What I do feel is important is that that garden matches the rest of the landscape. So all the gardens should match and have that same look. Um, you know, the built structure should have that same kind of look or feel. Um, so that I feel like is very important. Um, and then, you know, trying to figure out colors, textures, is there color combinations that you like? If you have a red brick house, um, sometimes really uh, warm colors, hot pinks don't look great against it. Um, I tend to go more for cooler tones. Um, but if you really love pinks and yellows and reds and oranges and you have a red brick house, it doesn't look horrible. You can still do that. What I always say is if you like it, go all in. What often looks um, not great is when you think, oh, I have a red brick house. I'm, so, I'm going to put a lot of blues and warm tones in, but I really love this pink flower. I really want like a liatris, like a dense blazing star. So you just throw some in and you think, oh, maybe no one will notice. And then that's what looks funny. That's what looks awkward. Um, so if you're going to put pink in the garden, make sure you put a lot of pink in. It looks intentional. Um, it'll look great. It won't look horrible against the red brick house. Um, what often doesn't look great is when you just try to sneak in a little splash here and there, and there's no repetition of that anywhere else in the garden. So own your choices. Go all in with them. Um, so I think... You know, at this point, hopefully you've, you know, in the process, you figured out what kind of style of garden you've liked. Um, it is quite hard. Um, you can even just walk around your neighborhood and take a look and say, oh, I like that garden. I don't like this garden, that kind of thing. Um, the next is probably the hardest decision and the one that we all get hung up on the most is plant selection. And um, because there's so many plants out there that we get to choose from. And so what is the best way is to kind of go through your criteria and start knocking plants off that list. So first of all, start with your light conditions. If your garden is on the north side of the house and gets, you know, very little sun, you know it's a full shade garden. So therefore, when you go to the garden center, you're only buying full shade plants, get out of the sunny plant area, go straight to the shade. Um, if you're wondering about light conditions, quickly, um, so full shade is about zero to two hours of direct sun. Part shade is about two to four hours. Part sun is four to six. 
and full sun is anything more than six hours. Within that, there's also other considerations because we never like to make it easy, is you can have sun all day that is dappled or filtered, right? So it's coming through a tree, whether it's a pine tree or a, a you know, an oak. Um, so you, the plant, the garden is going to get sun, but it's very light and dappled. It would could still be a full shade or part shade garden, but it's getting light all day, but in a filtered way. Next is soil type or moisture conditions. If it's really dry, if it's really wet, um, especially if you want your plant or your garden, sorry, to be minimal maintenance, really getting to know what kind of soil and moisture and site conditions you have and picking the plants that are best suited to those conditions will really help down the road with uh, less maintenance. So know that. Next is figuring out what you want out of the garden. Do you want plants that are fragrant? Do you want herbal um, herbs? Do you want plants that are gonna be best for cut flowers? If you want plants that are um, the best for supporting pollinators, um, this is obviously a really big one right now. So go research butterflies and moths and bees that are, you know, in Muskoka, in your area, maybe that you know of, that you've seen in your garden and you really want to support. And specifically with the um, moths and butterflies, figure out what their host plant is and perhaps put that in the garden rather than just going to the nursery and buying a nectar um, a plant that's really good at providing nectar because most perennials are. Most perennials will provide great pollen and nectar for pollinators. What's really important is knowing what the host plant is. So figuring that stuff out and that will help kind of whittle down your list of possible options. I always say my favorite garden to plan is a dry shady garden because you're really limited with your plant choices. Um, you know, when someone comes at me with a full sun garden with great medium, loamy soil conditions, it's overwhelming because there's so much choice. So sometimes whittling it down, um, you know, making sure that you have plants for every season, so um, that of color that is, so something that flowers spring, summer, and fall, winter interest as well, um, making sure that there's, you know, again, still repetition. Um, and when it comes to plant selection, less is more when it comes to the number of species you choose. So having a grouping of lavender, depending on the size of your garden, three or four times within one garden bed is going to look fantastic. Having one plant is going to look horrible. <laughs> so avoid the onesie twosie garden. Um, that's the biggest mistake, probably the number one mistake that um, home gardeners make is going to the garden center and buying that one coral bells because it looked really pretty or it was on sale that day um, and putting it in the garden. And then, you know, a week later going to the garden center and buying that one coreopsis because it looked really pretty or it was on sale that day. Um, you know, that's going to look unintentional, not planned, um, a little chaotic and messy. And um, what looks best to the human eye is planting in groups. So we know that, right? Like that's not news to us that you plant in groups of three, fives, and sevens. And what's interesting is that it's also best for wildlife. So if you want to support 
um, butterflies and moths and pollinators and all of that. Don't plant a one host plant of everything because you want to support everything. Um, likely the, pl- the, this, the butterfly isn't going to bother to stop for one milkweed, but it will stop if it sees a large grouping of, say, like five or seven. So pick very specific things that you want to support and go all in. Um, I'm running out of time. So I know I feel like I could talk about garden design mistakes forever. Number of plants, uh, roughly measure out the space that you have. So if you have a 10 by 10 garden, 100 square feet, and you want to put some shrubs, shrubs, depending on the species, typically takes up six feet. Get an Excel sheet and mark out six blocks and mark out six blocks. You're not designing your garden. You're just marking out how many things you will need. So, you know, for example, for a 10 by 10, 100 square foot garden, maybe one to three shrubs, about 15 perennials that takes up two to three feet, seven to nine ground covers that take up about one square feet. So things like that, knowing what you need before you step foot in the garden center will help you save money and will also help you have a more beautiful garden down the road because you won't fall into the trap of what's on what looked beautiful at the time in the nursery and what was on sale. You'll go in knowing like I need nine blue ground covers, you know. Um, so yeah, those are my kind of design 101 traps, hints, hacks, whatever you want to call it. Um, hopefully that helps you. And um You know, we're fortunate here in Muskoka to have winter. A lot of gardeners may disagree, but we're fortunate because of this. It gives us the ability to reflect and plan. So, you know, we can go into spring really knowing what we want. We've done the research. We can figure it out. We can, you know, read up on all the guidebooks and plan for for May. So enjoy doing that. Figure out what you want and make it the best spring. Take care, everyone. Be kind. Um, Again, this is Laura Thomas, and you're listening to In the Dirt on Hunter's Bay Radio.